everyone who's gathered here. Welcome to our online viewers this morning. Uh, glad to be together, excited to be kicking off this uh, Advent season. It's a great time of year, um, a great time for the life of the church, for the hope of a believer, and um, hopeful, I think, for giving us perspective on who we are, are and where we are and, uh, and what we're doing. My daughter Kaylee had the opportunity to go to uh, Norway a couple weeks ago. Uh, she went with some college friends to see a college friend who lives there. And part of their travel itinerary was to travel up to the Arctic Circle in hopes of seeing the Northern Lights. And uh, the Northern Lights are an incredible phenomenon, something that's on my, uh, if, if I had a bucket list, it would be near the top of my bucket list. But they can be pretty elusive. Not, not even when you get to the right place, they don't always show up or you don't have the right conditions to see them. And, and my daughter and her friends, they did. And when Kaylee talked about what happened when they, when they saw their northern lights, it was this scene of, of shouting and laughter and high-fiving and hugs and dancing and screaming, just like this, this picture of, uh, she actually used the word pure joy in, in the experience of seeing the northern lights. And I know a lot of times people, when we talk about joy, we distinguish joy from happiness, is that, you know, happiness is, is due to circumstances, but, but joy is something deeper inside that, that defies circumstances. And I get that. I think there's, there's something to that. But I think that there are people who actually could see the northern lights and not experience joy, right? That, that sometimes people is like, oh, you know, you've seen one northern light, you've seen them all. It's just like kind of this sense of, oh, you know, really whatever. What's the, that, that there has to be something already inside of you that, where, where joy has roots to, to, to experience any, any real joy. We used to sing this song in, um, in Sunday school when I was a kid growing up. I've got the joy, 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 downy in my heart. Downy in my heart. Downy in my heart. I've got the joy, 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 downy in my heart. Downy in my heart to stay. And I had this friend one time at Limit, and just like, you know, maybe sometimes some of those people who got that joy, 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 joy down in their heart, it'd be really cool if just a little bit of it seeped out to the top. <laughs> like, come out. Joy. Joy permeates the, the scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, joy. Dallas Willard said, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, unquestionably, God is the most joyful being in the universe. I think sometimes we don't think that. We, don't, we, think of, we associate God with some of our experiences in the church and with Christians and, and kind of have this sense that God is the, maybe the cosmic spoil sport. Spoil sport. God is the most joyful being in the universe. And this is why he said that. How can that be? He says, all of the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul-exhilarating joy. Those little things that bring us, that bring that joy out. He says, God experiences in all their breadth and depth and richness continually. 
the taste of joy that we get, God is living forever in and fully appreciating the fullness of that joy. That God exudes joy. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Where God is, there is joy. He orchestrates joy for our lives. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. When you live life the way God created life to be lived, joy comes out of that. He imparts joy. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. He commands joy. He said, do this. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Nehemiah said that this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Is it? Is the joy of the Lord like the driving thing that keeps you going through the day? The joy of the Lord is our strength, he says. And Jesus put flesh and bones on the joy of heaven, on the joy of God. Like he fleshed it out in, in, in the presence, in the company of humanity. Hailed at his birth, the angel said, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Scripture says that Jesus was full of joy, that he brought joy to the Father, and that he offered joy to us. That Jesus' end goal for our lives was complete joy. When I first came to the journey, then Mayfair Community Church, our mission statement was that our purpose is to make disciples who are learning to live in obedience to all of Christ's commands. To make disciples who are learning to live in obedience. Which is a cool thing, but I felt like missed the mark in this. Because when Jesus says that, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love, right? Learning to live in obedience to all of his commands. But Disney says, I have told you this. I want you to live in obedience to these commands so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. I don't always want to live in obedience to commands, but complete joy is pretty attractive, right? Complete joy sounds pretty amazing. How do I get that? Jesus, oh, love your neighbor the way that I have loved you. That's your joy. That's, that's the source of obey this command, disciples. Follow me in the, and you will experience my joy. You will make my joy complete and you will have complete joy. Joy was the driving force sustaining Jesus through the ordeal of his crucifixion. For the joy set before him. For the joy that lied on the other side. He endured the cross. 
not gritting his teeth and holding his breath, focused on, fixed on, looking towards the joy that was on the other side of his suffering. And the Holy Spirit wants in on the action. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. The Holy Spirit produces joy in our lives. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In 1719, English pastor and songwriter Isaac Watts penned a poem from Psalm 98 as a part of a collection that he called the Psalms of David imitated in the language of the New Testament and applied to the Christian state and worship. Wow, that's quite a subtitle, isn't it? His, his objective was this, though. He, he took psalms and rewrote them as poems, looking at them through the other side of the cross. That when the psalmist was talking about this, he was foreshadowing what Jesus was going to do when he came later on. The, the, the psalms had prophecies contained in them. And now he's reading Christ back into these psalms. Looking at the psalms through the fulfillment of Christ. And one of the psalms that he wrote a poem about about was Psalm 98. You see it on the screen. Sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the Lord and all who live in it. The world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. A hundred years later, Isaac Watts, had written this poem a hundred years after he had written it. Someone picked up the words, rearranged it, put them to a tune that became what we know as the Christian hymn, Joy to the World. Joy to the World. I can't think of a more hopeful wish for this Christmas season, right? Joy to the world. There may not be a more elusive hope for this Christmas season either. Really, joy to the world? Joy to the world where war is part of our everyday news, 
Russia invading Ukraine, China saber-rattling threats against Taiwan, North Korea launching missiles over Japan, rioting in the streets of Iran, fighting for basic human rights and dignity, world of turmoil, suffering, joy to the world, right, at home, inflation, economic woes, creating all kinds of anxiety and worry and frustration. I finally got a raise and I'm losing more paying for stuff than I had before I got the raise. Political discourse continues even after the midterm elections with agitation and anger and disappointment and apathy and violence and vengeance. Every day we hear new reports of mass shootings in Walmart and office buildings and, and all over the place. And, and we don't even have to open the, the, the newspaper, right, or, or log on to our, our Apple News feed. We don't, right? In our own houses, in our own lives, heartache and sorrow and, and heartbreak. You, you might have better luck wishing for a hippopotamus for Christmas than joy, or maybe a white Christmas in L.A. Is it possible for joy to be the defining quality, the defining characteristic of your Christmas celebration this year? Is that possible? Kaylee's jubilation at seeing the Northern Lights was preceded by weeks of planning for the trip. Plane reservations, setting the itinerary, talking to the friends, what are we going to do, when are we going to do it, where are we going to do it, when are we going to do it, laying all that stuff out, weeks of planning and preparation, a 20-hour flight, a six hours on the bus, sitting outside on a rocky beach for 40 hours, or for four hours, in the freezing cold, with regular updates coming to them, saying, the energy's not right for the northern lights to appear tonight. The, the skies are clear, which is the first obstacle, but there's just not the right energy that makes the light shine. It's probably not going to happen. It didn't just happen, right? There was all kinds of buildup and preparation and anticipation and expectation and the looming threat of disappointment that preceded the eruption of joy. Hope deferred, Solomon says, makes the heart sick. There is a weight, weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, a heaviness in waiting for joy. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Or as one wise observer once said, hope is hard. Waiting for joy is hard. 
the jubilant eruption in Psalm 98 is the result of God's holy arm, the psalmist says, working salvation, rescue, relief that Israel has been waiting for, longing for, hoping for, and not experiencing. The the psalmist doesn't tell us specifically what Israel was waiting for at this point in time. They'd been waiting for a lot of things throughout the course of their history. But they were waiting for this salvation. And from the other side of the cross, Isaac Watts, in writing his poem, said that the rescue that they were waiting for, even, that they, even though they didn't know it, the rescue that the world was waiting for was from sin, sorrows, and thorns, far as the curse is found. The, the, the poetic imagery goes back to the fall of humankind. You find in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, the curse the curse that brought hard labor to women in delivering children. The curse that brought hard labor to men in those days, now not exclusively to men, in trying to work the soil to bring forth a harvest to eat from. A curse that drove Adam and Eve out of the garden. A curse that brought pain and suffering and disease and affliction to the world, a curse that brought hurricanes and floods and natural disasters and destruction to the world. Far as the curse is found, that's where the rescue is aiming. Paul contends that everything In that same reference, everything is waiting. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Before the earth burst into song and the seas and the rivers clapped and the mountains sang, Before this eruption of joy that we read in Psalm 98 happened, they had been subject to frustration, groaning as if in labor. The expectation, the demand for future glory now to say, I want everything to be perfect right now, even while we continue to be in this place of If we have to have the fullness of this experience now, 
That demand is the enemy of joy. I experience it every day, right? Anytime things don't go the way that I want them to go, and I lament it, I'm saying, I want everything. I want the joy now. I want the gift now. I don't want to wait for Christmas Day. I don't want to wait for the return. I want heaven on earth for me. My joy is gone. Are we waiting? Are you waiting? Are the deepest longing heart, longings of your heart being fulfilled right now? Are you living in complete joy and elation? Have we learned, have we lowered our expectations to guard our hearts from the disappointment of the waiting? So I'm not going to look for it. I'm not going to long for it. I'm just going to like just try and be with content and settle for things as they are. Can we admit reality that we're not there? That today is not that day? Can we admit reality and hold on to the hope and believing that it will be? That one day it will come? Or as Paul says, can we groan inwardly even as we wait eagerly? Joy recognizes there is a problem in the world. Joy does not deny Russia and Ukraine and North Korea or political turmoil or economic woes. It doesn't pretend that things are better than they are. But as a hope that Jesus is the solution. Joy prevails when the hope of Jesus counterbalances the weight, this time W-A-I-T, the weight of the world. Joy prevails when the hope of Jesus outweighs the weight that we're enduring during this time. Hope deferred, Solomon says, makes the heart sick. But when dreams come true, there is life and joy. John Eldridge says, the road to life and joy lies through, not around, the heart sickness of hope deferred. We can succumb to our circumstances and forfeit our joy. We can pretend that our circumstances don't exist. We can live in denial, but only for so long, right? Eventually our denial catches up to us and says, yeah, you might think that this is not going to happen to you, but you are going to get old. You are going to lose things that matter to you. You are going to struggle you are going to die. We can lower our expectations. We can acknowledge 
our circumstances, the reality of our lives, while waiting and receive the first fruits of the coming kingdom now. Like I talked to the kids about, right? Christmas is not here yet. But there are a lot of things that are going to happen between now and Christmas Day that are full of joy unless we demand that Christmas Day be here now. It's the capacity to enjoy the first fruits of the kingdom of God, the things that are out there right for us, right for us now in preparation for, in anticipation for, that makes joy possible even this Christmas. What we suffer now, Paul says, is worth, is, is nothing, is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal later. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. When you read the Christmas story, you, you um, meet several different characters in the story. Remember the innkeeper? Innkeeper in the hotel in Bethlehem, their version of hotel, who had to say to Mary and Joseph, Mary, great with child, on the brink of delivering, there's no room. There's no room in the inn. I have no place to, to give you space in my life. Now, he was a victim of circumstance. I'm sure he wasn't sitting there going, no way, not you, right? He didn't have any rooms. But he couldn't make room. There was no room in the inn. The shepherds out in the field, the angels came. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. They got the news, and what did they do? They dropped everything. Said, we have to go see what they have just talked to us about. We have to make room in our lives to go and investigate for ourselves. And it says they returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen. You go forward to the story of Herod. Herod was the king. This story of a new king of the Jews was a threat to his rule. And so in an attempt to rid this threat, because there wasn't room in Herod's world for this new king, he went on a murderous rampage to kill every potential threat to his throne. Contrast that with the Magi, who are in the far country, and they see a star, and they discover from prophecies that this star is a sign of a very special birth, and they get on their camels and ride across the desert. They rearrange their lives to go see this king. Isaac Watts opens Joy to the World with these words. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Heaven and nature sing. Can joy be the defining quality, the defining characteristic of this Christmas celebration for you in your home, 
in our church, even in the midst of the realities of the world as it is and the longing for the world that is to come, waiting begins with every heart preparing him room. Preparing. Preparation. This Advent season, will you do that? With the anticipation of joy that is to come, will you prepare room? Because why... Life comes at us hard all the time, and Christmas season does not help, right? We are inundated with other activities and other responsibilities and other things that we're supposed to do and other things that are part of this celebration that take away from us the very thing that we most need and desire. What does it mean for you to prepare him room this Christmas season? I'm going to read Psalm 98 every day part of my preparing room. I'm going to worship every Sunday through the Advent season. It's part of preparing room, anticipating, waiting, tasting the first fruits of the kingdom of God. I'm going to listen to Christmas music every day that celebrates the coming of Jesus and the hope of his return. What can we do, what will you do to prepare him room in your heart that we might, even as we groan inwardly, eagerly expect, joyfully anticipate Jesus' return. Lord, thank you for this season. Thank you that you have come and for the promise we have that you are coming again. And for the promise we have that you would never leave us or forsake us, that you in fact are with us right now. May this time of year, may the Advent season give us pause to stop for a minute at the beginning at this first day of Advent, to stop for a minute and pause and say, what can I do? What will I do to help prepare my heart, to help make room in anticipation of future glory that allows me to live in joy even today? and bring that joy to a world that desperately needs it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.